Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. Welcome back to See You on the Show. My guest on today's podcast is my partner at ACT Advisors, Wes Johnson. Wes is a certified financial planner and a seasoned financial expert working with credit union executives on executive financial strategy. A lot of that involves tax planning and financial strategies. And what Wes and I are going to talk about today is our best year-end tax savings ideas for credit union executives. So if you're an executive looking to optimize tax strategy or getting some insights into year-end planning, this episode is packed with tips and strategies that you won't want to miss. Welcome, Wes Johnson. Welcome back to see you on the show. Uh, We're glad you're here and uh, looking forward to talking about the year-end tax savings ideas you have for us. Thanks for having me back, Doug. Yeah, well, let's uh, start out. We kind of have got a, a sort of a top 10 list for year-end tax savings ideas. You know, these, of course, are for credit union executives, as we always are on See You on the Show. So the first idea, let, let's start with the ideas that come in relation to your employer. So, Wes, you go first. A lot of you guys probably take advantage of the employer's flexible spending account or dependent care account. Those accounts have historically been use it or lose it. With COVID, they allowed a little bit of rollover flexibility, but make sure you've spent all of those. You just submit receipts. Make sure you've used all of that money and you don't lose any of that. The other one I'll say is check your 401k and your 457bs and make sure you're maxing those out in the correct buckets. And you really need to analyze this, but it could be pre-tax in a traditional bucket or post-tax in a Roth bucket. It usually does require some analysis to get that right. It's not just I'm in a high tax bracket, I need to do the pre-tax bucket. Uh, oftentimes, that's what how it works out, but not always. So make sure you're maxing those out. For this year, the most you can contribute is 22500 if you're over the age of 50, you can do an additional 7,500. Thanks, Wes. Yeah, the uh, the decision on funding pre-tax or after-tax is an important one, right? But it's it's not clear. It's not clear just because you have a high income that you should be doing pre-tax versus Roth. With credit union leaders, you know, you you guys have unique benefits. The 457B and hopefully the collateral assignment. The collateral assignment creates a potentially large income stream that when you optimize the timing of when you receive that large income stream, you can have a a period of years with no income, or no, I'm sorry, a period of years with no income tax, right? Not no income, that's a problem, (laughs) but no income tax. Maybe if you're in that circumstance, you use those low-income years to do Roth conversions at that point instead of doing Roth contributions now during your high-tax years and missing out on those tax deductions. Bottom line is it's a, it's a complicated analysis that you really need to get into the weeds on to figure out which makes sense and why. And then, of course, when, when to draw from which account once you get to retirement. 
Another tool that we see in credit unions is the health savings account. Health savings account is is just like a 401k, but of course it's for healthcare. You can put four thousand one hundred and fifty dollars in it in twenty twenty four if you're single, eight thousand three hundred and fifty dollars if uh, you are a family, and if you're over fifty five, you can put an extra thousand dollars in it. So that's that's nice. That's a big potential pre-tax tax deduction. Now, the ideal use of a health savings account is sort of, again, like a 401k, is to put that pre-tax money in there, make sure it gets invested, right? Most HSAs that I've seen have got various uh, mutual funds options that you can invest in. If you're using the technique that we think is optimal, where you put the money in the HSA and then you leave it there, you let it grow, invest it in, in something that earns money over time, and then actually pay for your health care out of pocket. If you can afford to do both, you just pay for your health care needs out of pocket. And in that way, you're getting the max tax deduction, and then you're allowing the compounding from the returns and the investments to build and grow the HSA, and then you can consume it later in life when that uh, compounding has really had time to work. It's a pretty neat technique to use. If you can't afford to do both that I just described, then still fund the HSA, hopefully all the way to the maximum, and then just use it to pay for those uh, healthcare expenses that are eligible. If you are near retirement, it really is uh, critical as a credit union executive to begin planning your retirement years in advance, right? You've got to train, you got to decide who your successor is. You got to sort of test and prepare that successor. We've done a a lot of work with credit union leaders near retirement. And uh, we suggest you don't do core conversion uh, just before retirement. Uh, We also suggest you don't do an acquisition just before retirement. Those are difficult things to deal with all, all by themselves. And if you announce your retirement, It really changes the cohesiveness of your team. Your team doesn't function as well as it uh, has historically when there's that sort of competitive situation if your successor is not clearly defined. So we we suggest that you can get those things out of the way uh, ahead of time and do a lot of analysis on figuring out the timing of when you're going to retire. Lots of stuff to think about. You know, you've got bonus eligibility and whether or not you would get that and when you would get that. You got the payout of annual leave and sick leave. Very often, we'll see credit union executives retire and then have the annual leave and sick leave payout in the following tax year, right? That's when they're retiring at year end. So the annual leave, sick leave comes in the following year. And very often, the executives will live on that uh, the first year. If they also pay out the 457B uh, in the year the annual leave sick leave pays out, it creates this this high tax year that can be really optimal for some uh, strategies we'll talk about in a minute. It creates this massive tax delta, which is the difference between your pre-tax income and your retirement income that in credit union executives is higher than we've seen in any industry ever. And it's a potent tool to use for retirement planning to say, okay, I I see this really high tax year coming. I can be very strategic about my activities in those years to make sure to leverage the tax year when it's here 
And then if I've got a bunch of low years to take advantage of sort of the opposite things in those years. Two resources we've built for you from our website, act-advisors.com, is some reading material on the top mistakes that credit union executives make with retirement. And that's a downloadable that you can use to kind of identify some some ideas we uh, have from your peers or maybe ideas not to do. And then there's also a podcast episode that we did called Unique Opportunities that Secure Act 2.0 provides. And in that, we, we go over uh, this, the same material that I'm talking about. So now let's just switch to talk about personal related ideas for a year-end planning. Last, go ahead. The next one I have is capital loss harvesting. This only applies to non-retirement accounts. Basically, if you have an investment that has gone down in value, it's worth less than what you paid for it, you can sell it and book that loss on your tax return. Now, you have to wait 30 days to buy that exact investment back, but you can immediately buy back something very similar. So for example, if you had a large cap growth fund, you sold it to book the loss, you can buy back a different large cap growth fund that same day and not violate, it's called the wash sale rule. So you don't have to be on the sidelines for 30 days, but you capture those losses at the end of the year while you're in a high tax bracket, you can carry them forward indefinitely. The exact opposite of that, and, and Doug kind of touched on this, if you are recently retired, and there's, there's usually a few years after you retire where you're in a very low tax bracket. And if your income is somewhere around 85,000 or lower of taxable income, your capital gains tax rate is at zero. So in those years, we oftentimes will implement capital gain harvesting, where you'll purposefully sell something that has a gain just to book the capital gain on your tax return to take advantage of the fact that you're in a low income year and your capital gains tax rate is zero. Now, I do want to point out the window where you have a 0% capital gains rate is usually very short. It doesn't have to be super short, but once you start pulling from your retirement accounts, that's when your taxable income starts to jump up. And especially when you reach the age of required minimum distributions, then your tax bracket jumps up significantly and you're definitely not going to be in a 0% capital gains tax rate from that point on. So taking advantage of, of capital losses or capital gains is, is a big one. Yeah, it sure is. With the tax delta that we see in credit unions, it is pretty amazing, right? You can go from being in the 20% capital gains bracket before retirement to zero capital gains for some years between retirement and required minimum distribution age, which is 73 for most folks these days. That ability to say, I'm going to purposely take income, I'm going to pull income to my return instead of avoid it like most of us do. I'm going to pull income because I got this window of no capital gains tax. It's really a, it's really a pretty awesome thing if uh, it applies to your situation. Another thing that comes kind of as part of that work is optimizing your income for Obamacare. Now, Obamacare, of course, is healthcare access for folks that retire, don't have a major medical plan, and are not yet old enough for Medicare. So that's a lot of you. That's a lot of credit union executives that are in that circumstance. If you just have to go to the marketplace and buy uh, health insurance uh, in 2023, it's about $1,100 a month per person for just sort of market-based insurance. So that's what we're seeing with the executives we work with. 
That's a ton, $2,200 a month for a couple for, for healthcare. Well, you, you, again, can kind of strategize this. You can control the receipt of income. If you have a multiple sources of plans, you've got a pre-tax like 401k and 457b, you've got tax-free like collateral assignment, and then you might have capital gains assets like personal investments. If you have all of those tools, you can be really strategic about which one you take when for Obamacare, the ideal income is about fifty thousand. You want to have about fifty thousand dollars in income, and in, in this year, anyways, to have enough to qualify for Obamacare, but you really don't end up paying virtually anything, like a hundred dollars a month, to get the health care. It's probably not going to be as complete a coverage as you would get with the eleven hundred dollars a month, or as what you had through the credit union but it is a massive money-saving opportunity available if you just have multiple plans and are strategic about when you spend each one. Another thing that comes from the, the massive opportunity of tax delta is the potential to fund charity in advance. Credit union leaders as a group are incredibly generous. If you just kind of go about giving uh, the amount you do to charity every year uh, using cash, really miss out on a variety of strategies. You know, one of the simplest ones is to use appreciated securities to give to charity. So you sort of avoid those capital gains tax. But if you have done the analysis that we suggest and project your income taxes for the rest of your life and figure out which one of your vehicles to spend each year, you probably are going to find some years with almost no income taxes. In those years, a regular charitable gift doesn't make much sense because you're not getting tax leverage. So if you know that's coming, what you do is you front load your charitable giving. Find the high tax year or highest tax uh, series of years, and you can put the money into something called a donor-advised fund. It's sort of like a private foundation, not, not the same, doesn't have all those expenses, but it's, it feels a lot like it. You can put the money uh, in in whatever year makes sense for you, get the ordinary deduction on your tax return for your contribution that year, and then actually give the money to charity in those little to no tax years that occur early in credit union executives' retirement. So you get the deduction in the good year, and then you give the money to charity in the years that you choose. Now, you don't have to do it. You know, you can keep that, uh, that entity there for in perpetuity or for a very long time. But the idea is if you're in that 37%, 39% bracket before retirement, get the deduction then not when you're in the 5% bracket in early retirement. Last idea is the 529 plan. The 529 plan is a classically a college savings plan. That's what folks think of it as. In some states, it comes with a tax deduction. For folks that are in states with the tax deduction, it's a pretty compelling way to provide college funds for your children or for most of our listeners, I'm sure we're talking about your grandchildren. Some of you may not yet have grandchildren or you want to sort of think more multi-generational. The unique thing about 529 plans is they don't have an expiration date. 
unlike a Roth IRA or traditional IRA or 401k that has to be paid out at some point in time, a 529 plan doesn't. You can put that pre-tax contribution in there, invest it, and let that continue to grow and compound for multiple generations. You can kind of have a, a dynasty 529, they call it, where that education fund is there available to provide funds for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and they're on. Pretty interesting idea for you to include in your year-end planning. Wes, any final thoughts for our listeners on year-end planning strategies? Just know that everybody's tax situation is different. And, you know, we rattled off a lot of stuff here. Some of it will apply to you, some of it will not. But if you have a full financial plan built out, you'll easily be able to incorporate these things and, and know which ones apply to you and which ones do not. Awesome. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, credit union leaders. Thank you for your service to this great movement. We are here to support you. Email us, call us if we can be of any help. And thank you for your service to the credit union movement. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.